You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. You're very welcome back. My name is Ahanu. And on behalf of Angel Rose, we welcome you to this Sacred Sites tour of Ireland where we visited in the first part for our St. Patrick's Day presentation, Modern Ireland. And then we went back in time to visit Ishnock and the Cat Stone. We went to Newgrange and we took a look at Nowth and Douth and the Stone of Destiny on the Hill of Tara. And then just before the break, we found ourselves in Downpatrick, the burial place of the three saints, St. Patrick, St. Bridget and St. Columkill. Yeah, this is like a, a past life memory of where I may have been an Irish chieftain or something and the followers of St. Patrick were preaching death and damnation for those who didn't believe in Jesus Christ. So it was, it was an enemy that you couldn't fathom. In other words, the Church of, of Jesus Christ as the way, in, the, in the way that they preached it was not something you could see or touch or smell or hear. It was an invisible force that promised death and damnation on anybody who didn't follow it. So it was very difficult to put a finger on who the enemy was. And, and that's the kind of feeling I have. I'm going into, into battle and not knowing the extent of my enemy, not knowing his weaknesses, not knowing his strengths, not knowing any vulnerabilities about it. I'm facing into the might of Christianity with its power to take your soul and damn it to hellfire without even knowing what you said or did or not even knowing if you did anything wrong at all. I mean, huge guilt and power over the human psyche. And then it's also pervasive. It's not like you can turn to somebody and say, that's a load of nonsense, I don't believe that. It's not the case. It's the case that more and more and more people were believing it. So the enemy, in a sense, was everywhere. But the way they saw it was their enemy was everywhere too. Paganism, Druidism, non-believers of all kinds. Their enemy was everywhere. So this is invisible enemy is what I'm feeling. An invisible enemy. And what's at the heart of that is the, is the guilt. So this is what's coming up. It's a very real memory for me. I feel it in my body, in my head, in my stomach. So you'll be glad to know that the outcome of that was a wonderful transformation, actually. We now feel so much more wonderful about what has actually happened here and what is continuing to unfold with these energies in Ireland. Yeah, the, there was a great healing afterwards for Ahano and myself um, from this experience. So, uh, you know, in the, the topic of the whole guilt of religions is another whole evening, really, because we're not against Jesus, we're not against uh, God's love or anything like that. This was a time, though, when um, the Vatican was appointing places that needed conversion, okay? And unfortunately, there was a lot of murdering going on 
uh, for those who were not willing to convert. So this is where our issue is or was. Uh, but Ahano actually had a huge forgiveness event happen from visiting St. Patrick's grave. And um, as I mentioned, I had a, a, an incredible physical healing from uh, the experience with St. Bridget. So, you know, it changed our perception mm. completely. So we're sharing these experiences with you because this is the Ireland that I would love to introduce you to. See, so many tourists arrive in Ireland and they'll visit Guinness Brewery and... That's a they, must, Ahano. They'll see castles. It is a must indeed. That's part of the, the spirit of Ireland, I have to tell you. But you, you miss the earth energies. You miss the, the, that nurturing of the land. And unless you visit these places and are open to the possibilities, people report huge changes. So if you ever do get the opportunity to visit Ireland, seek out these sacred places. Seek out the places, what we call, where the veil is thin. And there are many places in Ireland where the veil is thin. And this is one of them. No, they don't, they don't actually know where they are on there. I mean, they have a stone that's to St. Patrick, but they're really not sure he's actually under there. They just know that the three saints are on the hill mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah, okay. that's actually what that plaque says, so I won't read it. Okay. It, it just says they're, they're there, and that, there's a stone there that actually marks St. Patrick's grave. I'm going to show it to you right now. So this stone marks St. Patrick's grave. This is St. Patrick's water. And this is St. Bridget's water from inside the cathedral, right at the altar point, at that intersecting point of the ley lines. Okay, we're going to move now to Newgrange. Most people have heard of Newgrange. If you haven't, it's the, probably the most famous megalithic monument in Ireland. I'm purposely calling it a monument because when I first brought Engel Rose to Ireland, they were calling it a tomb, a passage tomb. In those last three or four years, they've actually changed their story to call these places now temples and monuments. They're beginning to open up to the possibility that these people knew far more than what we were aware of. So this is a look at Newgrange. This is a modern facade. Now, I say modern because it was actually covered uh, over centuries. This is what it looked like in the 1800s, okay? And what I want to point out is there's a little area here which is called the roof box where the rising sun of the winter solstice shone right through the roof box all the way into the central chamber. And I've picked, I just want you to notice these spirals too. So this is all they saw up until the 1800s, and then they started the excavation. And then when they excavated, they did find all these uh, facing stones that they ended up putting onto the, the facade. These are uh, uh, quartz crystal, and those stones came from like 
100 miles away. They're, they're also egg-shaped. Yes, they're all Naturally. Egg. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you something else about this in a few minutes. You see that uh, stone here? How these people move these stones, the same story with the pyramids of Egypt. At that time, they supposedly had these rickety little um, rush boats that sailed up the river, and they carried these kinds of stones in them. I don't think so. But they carried them from the Wicklow Mountains, which is over 100 miles away. This is now the roof box that they uncovered. There's the main entrance. You have to cross this stone to get in there. But now, so as to avoid damage, they actually allow you to climb some stairs over to the side, and you can go around this stone and go into the central chamber. It can only house like 17 people in the center. And in the past, it was always dignitaries who were allowed there at the time of the winter solstice. And the reason for that is because it's such a tiny chamber here in the center. And the rising sun over here in the, 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 the east goes through the roof box, down the chamber, and illuminates this central, central chamber here. This is another uh, look at what happens. You can see the angles that they constructed the chamber at so as to catch the sunlight. So the, the precision with which they constructed this is quite amazing. Now, another thing I want to point out is also, and Angela Rose, maybe you want to talk about this, is that the passageway is curved, but still it allows the light to enter into the inner chamber. I just want to mention that they have found that it's aligned with the star uh, constellation Cygnus, which is the swan. And when we started collecting the waters, which is a story in and of itself, but part of the reason we were told we were doing that was because they wanted the swan energy to come back to the earth. And for anybody who just thinks of a swan, you get a feeling of purity and innocence. And so this was aligned with Cygnus at the time. Yeah, and this looks like a, a swan's neck here. And in uh, Newgrange is famous for the migrating swans also. If you visit there, you'll actually see many, many swans on the River Boyne, the bend of the Boyne, they call it. This is a look at the sunlight coming down the passageway. This is another look at the sunlight entering the passageway. And you'll notice the triple spirals here. Everybody at this stage around the world is familiar with the Irish triple spirals. There's only two of them, only two of them anywhere in the world. And this is one of them right here. The other one is on the main stone that I showed you outside that you previously had to climb over. Another look at the sunlight entering the passageway. And this is an interesting picture. It's one of mine. You may not know that I paint, but this is a picture I painted at that time because I wanted to see in my mind's eye what was happening with the energy of this place. And I could see a plume of energy coming out from the center top all the way into outer space. And I thought, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense. Since then, we found that many, many other people were actually seeing energy coming from the power spots around the world, including the pyramids of Egypt. Uh, there seems to be some kind of an awakening going on. OK, we're going to move now to another uh, satellite tomb called Nauth. And Nauth is part of a complex of other monuments in the area. This is the main monument here called Nauth. And these, there 
are 14 of these satellite mounds around all of them. Every one of them have the entrance either nor, uh, facing the rising sun or the setting sun, or the summer or winter solstice or the equinoxes, depending on what they were trying to align with at the time. But every one of them have these alignments and every one of them have those chambers. This is a look at the, uh, what they call the um, curb stones. Okay, you can see the size of these curb stones. They're around every mound and they're all decorated. I'm gonna show you a picture of one now that is decorated. You can see the spirals and you can see this one is probably the most famous one at Nauth. It is a sundial and people have actually interpreted this to line up with the various calendars like the Mayan calendar. So these people knew what they were doing. Now we're going to look at another satellite monument to that. There's actually three of them that form an equilateral triangle in this particular complex. And this one is called Douth. Now, there's Angel Rose. You can't see it, but at the other side, at the top and just over the horizon line there, is a huge hole where this monument was blown up with dynamite. Okay. Now, you're familiar here in the United States with, the, uh, with an IRA being a pension scheme, yeah? Well, in Ireland, it's the Irish Republican Army. So the, the word was at the time that this was blown up, uh, that, the, that the IRA were storing arms and ammunition at the time of the Civil War in Ireland in 1921 and that they were hiding the arms and ammunition in the central chamber because it was a great place to hide it. Plus, these things haven't leaked a drop of rain in thousands of years, so it was a wonderful place. And that the British Army came in and blew it all up. Now, that's speculation. Nobody knows for sure. Where the IRA bit came in is because there's also the Royal Irish Academy, which is RIA. And they did some excavations there, and to save themselves a lot of work, they supposedly blew, blew it up in order to get at the central chamber. So, nobody knows for sure. Now we're going to move to the kingdom of Kerry, and we're going to talk about Skellig Michael. Okay, so, the kingdom of Kerry is very interesting. It contains a place called Skellig Michael. Skellig Michael. Despite its wild beauty, the faint of heart never venture here. Twelve kilometres off the coast of County Kerry in the southwest of Ireland is an island that provokes mystery and intrigue. It rises out of the wild Atlantic Ocean like a mystical pyramid. Legend suggests it was part of Atlantis. Rumour has it that the infamous Apollo St. Michael Axis line runs through it, connecting it in a straight line to venerated holy places like St. Michael's Mount in Cornwall, England, Mont Saint-Michel in the north of France, through Bourges onto Perugia and the hilltop sanctuary of Mont Saint-Angelo in Italy, dedicated to Archangel Michael. Delphi, Athens and Delos, which was the mythological birthplace of Apollo in Greece and then on to Mount Carmel in Palestine. Why did ancient pagans travel to the Skelligs and consider it a sacred and spiritual place? 
Christian monks settled here between the 6th and 8th century. Their handmade beehive huts are still perfectly intact. Their hand-hewn 600-step stone stairway challenges even the avid climber with its steep edifice, no handrails and sheer drop-offs to the sea below. The well-preserved monastic remains have retained a strong spiritual afterlife which appeals strongly to the human psyche. Why did the mythical early invaders of Ireland, the Tuatha de visit here and tell of Malesius, whose son Ir was buried on Skellig around 1400 before Christ? Who was Dara Dawn, a legendary king of the world who stayed on the island? Skellig Michael lures us into its beauty, its danger and its legends. Skellig Michael summons our curiosity tempting us into its wild and mystical past and begging the question was Skellig Michael part of Atlantis? Prepare to be deeply moved and changed by the mystical beauty and ancient legacy of Skellig Michael. There was also another big hullabaloo because this same location was used as the set for Star Wars. Star Wars. The most recent Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Some people were delighted with it, other people were very concerned about it. Yeah, yeah. And because we want to have okay. time for the water. Later. So we're going to go okay. on to County Sligo. We're going to take a look at Knocknaray, Carrowkeel, and Ben Bulbin. Just want to mention briefly that to talk about these places is one thing, to be there is something else entirely. Because the land is so alive, it's so alive with the ancient energies that if you lived in Ireland in a past life, you're going to have a full blown memory of who you were and what you were doing there. And, um, you know, when Ahano came to America, I lived in the Carolinas, I lived in Asheville, and of course it's beautiful mountains. And he said, as beautiful as these mountains are, they feel plastic to me. And I had no idea what he meant until I went to Ireland, because those mountains, they're alive with the type of energy that moves your heart. So that, that's what I think Ireland is. It's basically a heart place, and it is very sacred. So we can only give you a tiny little sample, but to be there is something else again. Okay. And speaking of heart energy, this is probably why Ireland is known for the 40 shades of green, the color of the, the heart chakra. Okay. You want to mention about Tell this? Tell the story? Yes. You see that little tiny nipple on top of that mound? That's a burial cairn. So I want you to keep in mind how big that, that is. So Ahanu didn't tell me where he was taking me, and we're, we go through this little town called the Town of the Roses, and all of a sudden I get a view. This is the view I saw. And immediately I burst into tears. I was just overcome with some sort of emotion. Well, it turns out this is the burial cairn of uh, Queen Maeve, who was an ancient goddess queen back in the day. And rumor has it that she is buried in the mound uh, in her chariot. Standing upright. Standing up in her chariot. I don't believe she's standing. I mean, I've had a vision of her. She's not standing up, okay? But the energy, once again, it's palpable. When you, so what happens is 
You can move on to the next one. Okay, for a second. I think it might be. Oh, a it's video. the video. Yeah. Okay, we got a little video to show you. The people climb up this hill, and they will bring a rock with them to put on top of the carn. Of course, Anne Garros was not going to carry any rock uh, up this steep climb. <laughs> no way, a Hanu could do it. Um, but anyway, it's again, it's another one of those places that is so mystical and so powerful that you're just not only is it gorgeous i mean the beauty of this these places is unbelievable but he's got a little video to kind of show you what the climb is like and what it's like from the top queen Maeve, goddess and mythical queen of connacht is said to be buried under this great stone mound on top of the hill of knocknaray the mound may contain a passage grave like that known at newgrange okay, and was probably erected 2500 bc like Newgrange and Nauth, it also has smaller satellite tombs around it. Okay, it says do not walk or climb on the cairn, but everybody does. And as Angel Rose said, it's, it, it might be a kind of a Christian influence for penance purposes, but people do carry these stones up, okay? And I always tend to carry a big one. He does, and I laugh at him. Down to The sailors cry out of hand till you came in sight. I'll raise a glass here to the years gone by, and all the times I've set aside down to. This is what happened. See a Hanu's big stone there? And Angel Roses on the top? 
She didn't even carry that stone. She, she found it on the top and just. <laughs> I'm not independent, Sahana. Okay, now we're going to take a look at this very interesting place called Karakil. Karakil is one. Let me say something first about this. I just, I have to give you guys a visual driving into this place. Okay, this place is so big, this land, and that carn that you just saw on top of Queen Maeve, that stone carn, this place has, I don't know how many hills dotted with carns everywhere. And you just know that warriors are buried in there. You just know. So it's so, they actually look like nipples. They do on top, which I think is interesting because it is very feminine. It's very maternal. And they're all, all those carns are shaped round uh, like, a, like a nipple. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, this has the largest collection of megalithic tombs anywhere on the planet. And most of them are unexplored, unexcavated. You wanted to complain about the cross on the sign. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so these are megalithic tombs, but yet, supposedly tombs, but uh, yet you'll find the signs all have this Christian marker on them. Nothing to do with Christianity at all. Keep in mind, when you see this road, you have to walk this whole length of this road uh, to get to the Carnes. Uh, you got sheep all around and it's quite beautiful actually so this is the top though one of them one of the cars on the top now we have a ufo story because i actually went into this this is known as cairn g and i went into this passage in here while angel rose waited on the outside and i had this weirdest ufo experience i've never had anything like it since but interestingly enough she had the same experience on the outside he was in there and i was getting nervous and uh i actually saw in the etheric a ship come down and land on top of the thing and i thought what am i nuts so he comes out and he says geez i all of a sudden i got the worst headache in there i had to come out he was quite um distraught because he he was in pain and so these are just images of what the carns are like, by the way, in the inside. But anyway, um, I had a client come about a month later, an Oriental girl, and we told her we were up uh, at Carol Keel. And she said, uh, did you see any UFOs? And I said, well, actually, I did see a ship. And she said, it's known for UFO sightings up there. So I found out I wasn't crazy. Interesting experience. Yeah, these are just some interior pictures of what the Carns are like inside. And how do you want to talk about that? Yeah, this is Carol Keel. This is the entire complex. And there's uh, all these different uh, mounds and monuments and graves. But interestingly enough, when you connect them all, you find this Star of David. Now, I leave you to make whatever you want out of that. But this is an example of the various kinds of alignments that these people were aware of. Now we're going to talk about Ben Bulban. Ben Bulban is a mountain in Sligo. This is what it looks like. It's imposing. And this is a very important place in Irish uh, folklore because you may have heard of uh, Tristan and Isolde. Yeah? You heard of those 
twin flame couples? Have you ever heard of Dermot and Gronje? No. Dermot and Gronje is another twin flame couple in ancient times. There was a chief, a chief of the Celtic clan called Fionn McCool. And Fionn McCool wanted to marry this young eligible girl. And she wasn't enamored with him. He was older than her father. So she, she fancied his warrior instead. And his name was Dermud. And Dermud didn't want to leave uh, and do the dirty on his, his, his chief. So they decided to elope in the night and they escaped away. And of course, Finn McCool quickly made chase after them. And he chased this loving couple all over Ireland. And when you visit Ireland, you will find many place names and dolmens and standing stones and stone circles called Dermot and Grania's bed, where they would have stayed uh, while the chieftain was in hot pursuit of them over many years. He eventually did catch up with them. And he had uh, uh, his way of catching up with Dermot and punishing him was to organize a boar hunt on the top of Ben Bulbin. And he knew that Dermot couldn't resist but attend the boar hunt. There was a prediction at the time that it would be a boar that would kill Dermot eventually. And sure enough, Dermot was injured by a boar. And the chieftain came to help him in his dying few minutes. And he brought him, so the chieftain brought him some water. But he purposely brought the water in his cupped hands and he allowed the water to run from his cupped hands. So there was nothing there by the time he got to Dermot. So he pretended to go to the well to get more water. And again, he allowed it to run through his fingers. So he had no water for the dying Dermot. And Grania was so upset over this, she cursed the chieftain. And the chieftain went to the well to get a third drink of water for him. But by the time he came back, Dermot was dead. This is one of the sad stories of twin flame romances that are actually similar to those all around the world. Oh, I have to talk about this. This is a fairy forest, folks, a very real fairy forest. And I won't go into the story because I am conscious of time. But suffice it to say, when Ahana was taking me to see Ray, before we got there, I said, we need to go down this road. And it was a different highway. And he goes, why? Well, that's not the way. I said, I don't know. We have to go down this road. So we go take a left turn. And next thing you know, we take a right turn. And we end up at this place. There are so many elementals in that forest that it was, it was overwhelming. And so we call it the fairy forest. And actually, um, we did make a water from this forest. And the experience of it for us was we were underground under the roots of these trees, looking at all the communities of elementals that live under the roots and have their beds embedded in the roots. And the whole experience is a whole complete vision of what the community of elementals is like. Super, super powerful place. So we had to stick the fairy forest. There are many fairy places all over Ireland. In fact, there are... There's a race course called uh, Fairy House, and there are various place names.
called Fairy Something or another. In fact, there's a place in County Clare, an Irish name is called Labanashida, which means the bed of the fairies. And this is a, a different fairy garden. Uh, it's very well known. It's actually, the gate is actually in this brush. And if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't see it. But when you go through there, it's a bit of a trek. But it opens up into this huge rock face opening that's kind of shaped. So that's another place where fairies are known to coagulate, let's just say. Now, no place would be complete in Ireland without having some spirit. So this is, uh, you may not know, but my last name is O'Grady. And uh, what's interesting about this is that you would not want to use this word in the United States, but it's quite common in Ireland, crack. And it just means good time, music and good time. That's what it means. That's quite common. So if you go to Ireland and you hear somebody saying, are we going out for some crack tonight? You'll know what it means. Okay, we're going to look at the largest stone circle in Ireland is in County Limerick. This has 133 stones in its circle, okay? Uh, this particular one here is called Crown Crook uh, is the Irish name for it. It's the Lord of the Mound, who's the primitive god of sacrifice and the chief idol of Ireland. Each year, sacrifices were made to him to ensure fertile crops and good harvests. Eventually, St. Patrick came along and put a stop to all of that. He said it was made of gold and that he destroyed it with a wave of his crozier. He also claimed that there was a demon inside which jumped out and ran off. Crom Crook then bowed down to St. Patrick and went all droopy, remaining so forevermore. However, he's not gone because before you know any of that, when you go there, you see an image of what looks like a pan type of a figure. You know, the green man of the forest, it's, he's in there, in that circle, in that rock. So he's definitely alive and well. And you, you actually have a vision of festivals where people came from all over and celebrated the harvest inside the circle and um, gave thanks to the, you know, the sun and the moon and all of that. Take a look at the size of that stone. This is the largest standing stone in Ireland. Is another view of some of the standing stones. And, uh, My beautiful son, everybody. This is Angel's son who came <laughs> to visit us in Ireland. My son, Clayton. Yeah. That same day, we met a man who was writing a book who had discovered some other very interesting alignments. He hadn't published it at that point in time. We don't know if it's out yet. But he had discovered connection between this uh, stone circle and various other alignments and celestial bodies. This is a quick look at the... Uh, a ceremony that took place, yeah, where the, the rising sun on the, the summer solstice comes in from this angle, and these two stones here are the rising sun of the winter solstice. And I have a picture of that to show you. You can see it coming through the stones here. And this is a look at it coming through. There's Crown Crook, and you can see the rising sun as it comes into the circle. Now, you see the numbers of people here. I want to point this out to you. A small country. Five million people in total in Ireland. You can safely visit these places knowing that you're not going to be overcrowded. This is typical of the kind of numbers of people who visit these sacred places. So when you go there, you do have the opportunity to imbibe that energy yourself without being disturbed by crowds of people. Now we come to 
my favorite place because it's where all my family come from, even though I was born in Tipperary. We're going to go to County Wicklow, the Garden of Ireland, and this place is called Glendalough. Glendalough means the Glen of the Two Lakes. It's a glacial valley and it's important to us for a number of different reasons. It's the, it's a, it houses a Christian monastery here that was founded by St. Kevin. Kevin is my Christian name, and uh, I don't know whether I was called after my father or after this particular saint, but he was one of the saints who could uh, speak with uh, nesting birds, and they would land on his shoulders and his hands and so on. Very likable saint. People traveled for miles to visit him. In fact, uh, they, they loved him so much that he couldn't find any peace in this monastery, and he ended up leaving the monastery and living in the forest on his own to get away from the crowds. In a cave. In a cave, yes, called St. Kevin's Bed. This is St. Kevin's Church. This is uh, one of hundreds of round towers in Ireland that are most of them perfectly intact after 1,700 years. I want you to notice the stone church here. This is St. Kevin's Kitchen, it's called. And that roof has been there since the, the 6th century and has never leaked a drop of rain. Nor have any of those carns that you saw. They're all corbelled roofs inside, uh, kind of like a beehive, and they've not leaked at all in over 5,000 years. This place is, is the, the second most visited place in Ireland, aside from Guinness's Brewery. What's interesting about Glendalough and those churches is that it, they contain what's known as a Sheila Nagig. A Sheila Nagig is a pre-Christian, pagan impression of the womb of creation. You can see the genitalia of the female here. Why this is important is because the, one of the ways that Christianity managed to get a foothold into the pagan way of life was to bring some of those pagan emblems, symbols, and rituals with them. This is on the entranceway into the Christian church at Glendalough, where the monks and the priests would actually go under her or through, through the vagina into the womb of creation to say their mass. This was the only way they could get their followers to come with them. I want to talk for a second about the uh, architecture here. It's, this is a prime example of uh, the first relieving, relieving arches in uh, construction that's anywhere in the world in stone construction. And many, many, it's in ruins now, but many, many churches uh, were built using the same architectural style after that. Angel Rose, when she first visited here, called it the Valley of Peace. And so it is. There's a road runs right along the edge of the lake, all the way up that mountain, all the way up there. But while we were walking along that road, Angel Rose said to me, when were the Native American Indians in Ireland? And I said, never. I an American to come and give him a bit of I history. never knew of it. I never heard anything about it. And she said, they were. Because ever since we've started walking along this road, I've had a Native American scout behind me all the way. Isn't that right? So I did some little bit of exper uh, exploration, and I found, indeed, that there were Native Americans in Ireland. And they, they sent money to Ireland at the time of the Great Famine in Ireland. 
there was only two nations in the world that helped the Irish, even though you had a prosperous country called England right beside us, and in fact living in the country, who did nothing to help the starving Irish. The Choctaw Nation, even though they were on the, the trail of tears at that exact time, they saved $170 and sent it to the starving Irish and blankets, which is an astonishing feat. The only other nation was Turkey, of all places, of all people, to help the starving Irish. So I managed to get chief of the Choctaw Nation to speak to us about the Choctaw and the Irish connection. Halito, my name is Gary Batten, Chief of the Choctaw Nation, and it's springtime here within the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, and every time I think of spring, I think of our annual Trail of Tears walk that will be happening May 16th this year at Tushkahoma. But it also reminds me and makes me reflect and think about our ancestors and when they came across the Trail of Tears, all the sacrifices that they made to give us the great opportunities that we have and what makes us the great Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. But it also reminds me of what our people are all about, the values that we have, and that's in regards to the Irish potato famine. After we lost a fourth of our people coming across the Trail of Tears, we turned around and sent $170 over to the people of Ireland. Now to me, that's true servant leadership. That's the type of values that I wanna pass on to my kids and to my grandkids. And it's very interesting at this time that the people of Cork, Ireland are doing a sculpture that's called Kindred Spirit. And they'll be uh, honoring the Choctaw people for the sacrifices and for the things that they gave to the people of Ireland. And it makes me honored to represent the people that does those type of efforts. So just want to tell you those stories and say Yako Ki and Chapisalachki. Speaking of the spirit of Ireland, just in the last couple of years, they've uh, formed, founded a distillery there in Glen de Lock, the Glen of the Two Lakes. This is supposedly St. Kevin with his peaceful doves. And Angel Rose managed to enjoy some Guinness while she was there too. I want to draw your attention to this little plaque that's up on the wall here because this pub is in a place called Hollywood. Now, everybody considers Hollywood in California to be the origin of Hollywood, but in fact it's not. It was Hollywood in County Wicklow, in fact in that pub, because that's really all that's there. There's a pub, a church, and uh, a post office. It can boast a name for well over a thousand years before its Californian counterpart was ever heard of. Stranger still, it was a local immigrant from here, Matthew Girk, who christened the Los Angeles suburb with the name of his native place. Matthew Girk made it big in business over there and owned a racetrack. And his grand uncle, Jim Girk, was the long serving sub postmaster in Hollywood for many years. And, and, and the family still owned it actually up to a short few years ago. They have the Hollywood sign there on the hill too, the same white Hollywood sign. So it is the original Hollywood. It's a tiny little blink of an eye place. But I'll tell you, Hollywood Inn, if you get over there, has the best fish you'll ever taste. Best fish and chips. 
Now we're going to go to County Roscommon and a place called Owen Nagat, which is the, the Cave of the Cats. That's what that means, the Cave of the Cats. When we were in Ireland this, that last time, we were seeing black cats everywhere. Couldn't figure out what was going on. We just follow our guidance, follow our intuition. And we came to this place called Cruachan. And I, before I go into that, I just want you to point, point out this little place here called Knock. Knock, as you've seen from Knock Naray and various other place names, means hill. So you have English place names now called Light Knock here, but the Irish name means the Hill of Mary or the Hill of Allen or the Hill of Slain or the Hill of something else, you know? So you'll get this anglicization that goes on that has no resemblance to its original meaning. So Cruachan... But, but it's known because there was an apparition of the Blessed Mother in Knock, in that there is now a huge church and it's a place of pilgrimage for a lot of people. This is the entrance to the underground cave called the Cave of the Cats. So I want you to imagine having to get down on your haunches to get in this place. Uh, originally it had a huge uh, yew tree on top of it so it has a 12 foot long passageway that's uh, horizontal it's pitch black that you have to crawl down to get to the inside of the cave so of course Angel Rose sent a Hano in there <laughs> I had to go in there <laughs> when you first crawl in there's an ancient lintel across the entrance that has Ogham writing on it and remember Queen Maeve that we talked about at Nachnaray, um, there's stories of her having a palace nearby, and the Ogham writing is to her son. Uh, it has the message, I don't know what it says, but it's all still in place. So this is a Hantu, a Hanu, trying to film what it's like inside as he was making his way in, so we could have a water from it. We understood why we were seeing all these cats. Because it's called Owen Nagat, which means the Cave of the Cats. Story is that uh, Queen Maeve had three warriors and she could only choose one. And she sent the three of them into the cave and there were cats in there. And the idea was that the one who survived the night without the cats eating their dinner would become her warrior. And it was only one who managed to survive it. It's the, it's the entrance to the other world, not the underworld. Yeah, which is where the she come through, which is the fairy kingdom. I've been in many scary places, but not ever as bad as this. There's a Hanu made the water. It's quite eerie in there, and you definitely feel the power of that cross between the worlds inside. Their history and their legacy. 
I'm here. And get Rose was freaking oh, no. out. She thought I was lost and gone oh, forever. No. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, there was there was stuff in there. Hard to put your finger on. Yeah. for her beloved to return safely. <laughs> yes, exactly. Coming out of the darkness. Bowels of the earth. This is a Hanu trying to crawl out of Owen Nagata. The cave of the cats. Why is dark and scary in there? It's like a tomb. Doesn't spirit have a sense of humor where it sent us to get these waters? Yeah, this is this is what this is. This is the, uh, the fire what, circle what we want Bridget's you to sample now. It's okay. St. Bridget's Well, the fire circle and Kildare. Okay. <laughs> okay, we do need to position Bridget. Bridget is thought by her devotees to have been a triple goddess of poetry, healing, and smithcrafting. According to one account, she was born at the exact moment of daybreak and rose into the sky with the sun, rays of fire beaming from her head, and all the pictures show this. Her protection was sought over livestock and agriculture. She was reputed to be the daughter of the great Celtic god Dagda and the Morrigan. As a fertility goddess, her aspects were venerated, not only in Ireland, but also in Britain and on the European continent. The Celtic festival of Imbolc, marking the beginning of spring, midway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, coincides with the 1st of February, the feast day of St. Bridget. It's the first day of spring in the, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, where we are anyway. And uh, according to legend, she and her 19 virgin priestesses, called Daughters of the Flame, kept the blaze constantly burning in her original fire temple. Now, that flame was burning for those thousand years up until the 1600s when it was extinguished by the uh, conquest of the, the Eng English in Ireland, and that flame was extinguished. Now, it has since been relit in 1993. The, uh, the, the daughters of the um, Brigantine nuns uh, relit that flame, and it's been lighting ever since in County Kildare in her original monastery. Now, what's interesting about Bridget is there's a, a, a merging of the ancient Celtic goddess Bridget and the Saint Bridget of Christianity. And the dividing line is, nobody knows where the dividing line is. One embodies the qualities of the other. What's special about Saint Bridget is that she's the first and only Catholic bishop ever. There never has been one before or after. And it happened quite female. by accident. Female. Fem did I say female bishop? Yeah, first female bishop and the only female bishop. How it happened was she was uh, being supposedly uh, being, what do you call it, venerated or becoming a nun? What do you call it, the ceremony? Becoming a nun? 
and the, the bishop or the cardinal who was performing the ceremony read the wrong words, read the wrong ceremony, but he couldn't take back the words. They were said and she was elevated to the status of a bishop. Uh, the king, the local king at the time, later converted to Christianity. How, he, how, she, got, how she did that was because uh, she came to him and said, I need some land to build a, a monastery and a convent and build this and that. And he said, uh, I have no land to give you or, or um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to give you anything. Go away. And she said, look, I need to help the local people. Will you give me the amount of land that is covered by my cloak. And the king agreed to that, thinking she was only going to get a little, right? She took off her cloak, and she had her 19 virgin priestesses take an edge of the cloak each, and they ran in opposite directions, and they covered an area the size of County Kildare. So she ended up owning all this vast land. The king could say nothing. He just converted to Christianity right there and then. <laughs> There's countless stories about St. Bridget. One of the wonderful ones is uh, about the fire circle, of course, and we, we took a water from there. And the St. Bridget's cross, this is a cross that could, was made. Could you just go back to the fire temple for a moment, only because it's one of the choices for water tonight? This is where um, her flame was lit uh, in, in honor of the feminine for so many thousands of years. So we have a water from there. Same Bridges Cross, just quickly run through this. You can see how it's pointing to the cardinal points. It forms the equal armed cross, of, uh, which is interesting. Christianity doesn't have the equal armed cross. It's longer on the bottom. There's a whole other story to that. But she used this to convert various other regional kings to Christianity by showing how the, the rushes can be made into the cross. What I like about it, going back to the original uh, flag of Ireland, where you have the four provinces and the central circle in it, you see the connection between this and St. Bridget's Cross, okay? And she's got the white roses here. She's got the fire in her hands, which is also over the womb. And you'll notice also the snakes of the Kundalini. She did not appear to me as a nun. She appeared to me as a, a woman, you know, so I need to make that distinction. This is St. Bridget's Round Tower. There, uh, I mentioned many, many round towers. This is only one of two that you can climb to the top in Ireland. Now we're going to look at St. Bridget's Water. It's just a picture of a holy well, one of St. Bridget's holy wells. Many, many of them around Ireland. We are going to finish up only two or three more slides here. Uh, it's probably about three minutes left. So it's St. Patrick's Day, so here's an Irish blessing for you. It says, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face, the rain fall soft upon your fields, and until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. I just want to run through a very quick summary of the sacred places that we have visited today. We went through the modern Ireland. We looked back thousands of years into ancient Ireland. We looked at Ishnock and the Catstone, Newgrange, Nauth, Douth, the Hill of Tara. We went to Downpatrick. We saw the three saint burial place. We went to Skellig Michael, the beehive huts, Carrow Keel with all the cairns, Ben Bulbin, the story of Dermid and Grania, Knocknaray, Queen Maeve, and we looked at the largest stone circle in Ireland. We went to Glendalough, the Garden of Ireland, and you saw me find my way out of the cave of the cats there in County Roscommon. And then we looked at St. Bridget's Fire Temple. The last thing I want to show you is uh, to bring this full circle 
This is only a two-minute video, but it's a gift to you from National Geographic. Why would you come to Ireland just to drive along our country roads? Just to marvel at our historic sites? Or stand and stare at our statues? We want you to jump in. Or even jump on. Ride like the wind. Be swept up by our history and dazzled by our stories. Let them speak to you, captivate you. Oh, she's smitten. Go on, jump into Ireland. Visit Ireland.com. And that brings us to the end of our presentation. And it just remains for me to say, for what's left of St. Patrick's Day, have a happy, happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you. You have been listening to Angale Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.